Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and I'm so delighted to be joined today by Zakia Dalila Harris, who spent nearly three years in editorial at Knopf Doubleday before leaving to write her debut novel, The Other Black Girl. Prior to working in publishing, she received her MFA in creative writing from the New School. Her essays and book reviews have appeared in Guernica and The Rumpus. She lives in Brooklyn. Welcome, Zakia. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I, I'm so excited to talk to you about this wonderful book. Uh, and, and as I mentioned before I pressed record, like <laughs> there are so many ways to jump into this. Um, yeah. Get, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm wondering if you have a strategy for publishing this book about what it's like to be a black girl alone, sort of in, in publishing, in book publishing, who, has to figure out when it's someone's job to speak up. And I wonder when you started to write this book and if you feel like we're at an inflection point now in book publishing, talk to me. Yes, um, whew, so many, so many things, all the things. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with talking a little bit about, yeah, just where the idea for the book came from. I mean, Yep. So I worked in editorial for two and a half, three years. Um, was first an editorial assistant and then was promoted to assistant editor a couple years in. Um, and I mean, when I went, started working in publishing, I was really excited about the idea of editing and like working with authors. So I'd done my MFA program um, and I'd gotten really into talking about books and structure and stories and writing and like what makes a piece tick, like all of those good things. But I also wanted to be a writer when I went into publishing. So, I mean, I always had that kind of like monkey on my back, I guess. I don't mm -hmm. know if people say that anymore, but um, a good monkey. But also at times it was hard to, of course, do both. And so for a while I would try to freelance and also do that, try to, you know, move up in the editorial world and publishing. Um, but of course, all at the same time, I was constantly aware of how few black people, black women um, worked in publishing. Uh, I didn't have it as bad as Nella did mm -hmm. in my book. Nella was the only black girl. I was not the only black person on my floor, but I was one of two. Um, <laughs> and the other was a, a male black editor who had done this for a very long time. So we had different worlds, right? Different generations. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had a, a moment in the bathroom when I was about uh, I was already thinking about if I wanted to really work in editorial for my life and, you know, 20, early 20s or mid 20s, I guess at that point, like, what am I going to do? Um, and so I had this interaction in the bathroom. Well, no interaction. I ran into another young black woman in the bathroom who I knew wasn't an author. I think she had a work badge or something. And I remember feeling a, an array of emotions, like confusion, um, <laughs> excitement, wonder, um, we didn't talk, uh, but I went back to my desk and I just had more emotions, thinking about the emotions I just had of like, wow, you were really hoping like, yeah, we're black and we're here moment. And so, I, yeah, I went back to my desk and I started writing that first chapter uh, where Nella's thinking about, you know, she's sitting in a cubicle and she's smelling these things and wondering if there's another black girl on the floor. Uh, and so that was very much like, that was a very uh, big, obvious moment. But before that, I had been, when I did my MFA, I was writing nonfiction personal essays and 
I was always really thinking about my race and um, just, I had a, my own racial renaissance, uh, if you will, um, where I was really thinking about my childhood because we, like my protagonist, I grew up in Connecticut um, around mostly white people for most of my young life. So I was very much aware and thinking of these issues of what it's like to be the other because I've been so used to that for most of my life. Absolutely. And Nella um, says in passing that it would be nice to have a work wife and who doesn't need a work wife <laughs> and right. just someone who kind of gets where you're coming from. Totally. And, and you know, again, I, I have to say I had it better than Nella because I had a few work wives who I'm still in touch with today. But no, I didn't have a black work wife or like a black Mm -hmm. uh, person. I mean, I, I was able to find other people and other imprints, but it's not quite the same. You know, you can't just like go to their desk and just complain. Um, and again, like, like I said, my work wives got it. And a lot of them were, were all on the same page about wanting change. But again, it's just not quite the same, you know. R8 is a fine jewelry brand founded by women for women. Pieces range from classic to statement to completely original. R8 makes the jewelry you've always wanted but could never find. R8's gold feels substantial and the diamonds sparkle and shine. Such high quality and so beautiful. Because R8 sells directly to you without the middleman markup, they can offer the same quality as traditional Fifth Avenue brands at a fraction of the cost. Ethically sourced and sustainably made, their gold is never mined and their gemstones and diamonds are also certified conflict-free. Orate is looking to set the standard for women because they deserve the best, always reminding them to set the gold bar high. For 15% off your first Orate purchase, go to oratenewyork.com slash MarisReview and use promo code MarisReview. That's A-U-R-A-T-E newyork.com slash MarisReview. I, one of the things I really loved about the book was how you made the real drudgeries of the day-to-day -day life as an assistant really entertaining. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've found that it's hard to convey to someone who doesn't work in book publishing all of the different kinds of skills that you need to be just an assistant earning a small salary. Um, you're, you're expected to be like a therapist and a copy editor and oh my God. so many yes. different things. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, even, you know, when you strip away, because I, I think about this book a lot and I think about Nella, of course, obviously I think about this book a lot, but I think a lot about Nella um, and how, of course, I mean, her race and her, the way she perceives the world really affects the way that we perceive the story through her eyes. But I also know that working in an editorial assistant position or any entry level position comes with, like you said, I and mean, you have to be a therapist, you have to be able to read people, um, you have to meet demands from every single person, from uh, the wonderful production people all the way to, you know, frontward facing. So you're, you're constantly, doing this kind of managing of expectations, period, no matter who you are, essentially. Yeah. I mean, every imprint's different. So when you take that and then you add, of course, all of the microaggressions and the just the sheer, um, just the knowledge of looking at the table and not seeing anyone who looks like you, like, even if you don't constantly think about that, that is something that your body knows, like something underneath all of 
your facade, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you try to tune it out, um, that you know, you're aware of that. You know that the space, something is wrong with the space, like the space, the fact that you're the only one or one of the few, it's like, what's going on there? <laughs> you get into also this, this really um, prevalent idea in publishing that like, there's a way it's always been done. And yes. <laughs> therefore there's this unwritten code that mm-hmm. everyone is expected to know and to adhere to. And it's just, maybe that worked back in the days when book publishing wasn't a corporate enterprise so much as like a, right. a, a thing rich people did for fun. You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, and I, I think that's, that's a great point because I think that was the thing for me personally that really got under my skin the most in terms of like, you know, looking at where I was working, looking at where a lot of other people were working, like editor-resistant jobs are difficult. Like we mentioned how there are so many tools you have to have, but like a lot of those are like not things that you get from just having a degree or getting a, a, you know, going to the Columbia publishing program. Like these are things that, you know, you can find in other places and they can, we can hire um, more diverse people. Like, why are we pretending like you have to have gone to this school or that school to like be able to do the job? Because I, I mean, I didn't go to Ivy League schools, and I'm not trying to to uh, dismiss them because they're of course <laughs> very important. But like, I had no experience in publishing. I'd never even done like, an internship in publishing and like this corporate space. But um, I was able to navigate that world and. I think did a really good job at it. So I, I, yeah, I I think that it felt really too easy to be like, well, the people aren't out there because this, this, this. And it's like, well, no, like let's be on people that you know, like there are people who don't even know this is a a career option and also pay them better (laughs) than get me started. But (laughs) there are a lot of factors, but, and, and I'm not saying that it's easy to diversify publishing. Of course, like, I think if it were, it would have been done a while ago. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think it's like a matter of restructuring the way that we, what we value and what we think is important. Um, people skills, honestly, I think are the most important thing to have when you're in these kinds of positions. You don't have to scroll very far down your newsfeed to find a story about the restorative effects of collagen. It's all the rage, but it's way more than just hype. Get the very best collagen on the market from Ancient Nutrition. Ancient Nutrition has one goal, transform the health of every individual on the planet with history's most powerful superfoods. Whether you want to improve your body, sharpen your mind, or just feel like your best self, Ancient Nutrition makes supplements that get real results you can see and feel. All Ancient Nutrition products are made from the highest quality ingredients and are rigorously and repeatedly tested for purity. Their best-selling multi-collagen protein powder includes five types of collagen. It is the first and only collagen on the market with clinically studied ingredients proven to help reduce joint discomfort as early as day one, improve fine lines and wrinkles after four weeks, and transform your overall skin tone after eight weeks. It's unflavored and dissolves in any liquid, so put a scoop in your morning coffee, smoothie, or even baked goods. Proven formulas for real impact. That's what Ancient Nutrition is all about. And for you, Nearest Review readers, right now, Ancient Nutrition is offering 20% off your first order when you go to ancientnutrition.com and enter the promo code MARIS at checkout. 
That's ancientnutrition.com. Enter promo code Maris for 20% off your first order. One more time, ancientnutrition.com. Enter promo code Maris at checkout. Now, back to the show. I mean, when, when, I, when I was an assistant long time ago, I'd mm-hmm. always hear about how it's an apprenticeship. I feel like that's such a weird way to describe, like, yes, there are some things you can only learn on the job. Right. It doesn't mean you have to have the prerequisites for the apprentice. Like getting the apprenticeship right. is the exactly training. It's the chicken and the egg. It's like you can't you can't have the experience until someone gives you a shot. Someone takes a chance on you. And I was fortunate to have people take a chance on me. Um, but I also checked a lot of other boxes that a lot of other people haven't had like other people of color haven't had the opportunity to check so like I still and I I mentioned this in the book with Mela's like reservations about uh her UVA uh person helping get her a job in publishing and like I had a similar thing through the new school someone I uh studied under wonderful um you know knew that or she mentioned something about my writing was like I never have to edit you and like for me that's like (laughs) even then I was like yes I love to hear that (laughs) um which isn't true I have to be edited very often with other things but um yeah she was like are you interested in in the in publishing and I was like am I interested like I've been trying to apply I haven't been able to get anything like no one's I've never heard of her back and then a few months later I think she it, she came through and um without that connection I don't know if I would have we, we'd be here today <laughs> and I mean same <laughs> and, but but not same obviously and it seems as though from Black Lives Matter there came this movement to publishing companies have diversity initiatives and have them have town halls and Mm -hmm. do you think they're the methods of trying to find people to work in publishing are changing at all hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, I'm not sure only because I, of course, quit. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I also, and these initiatives have been in the works for even before last year, but I do think a lot of the conversations around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, specifically in the publishing world, did spark, at least in 2020, like a movement toward hiring more diverse people and and all of that good stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the day you ask me, to be honest. I feel... I do feel like, I mean, even with this book, I can't help but feel hopeful, like the fact that we're having conversations like this and that, um, you know, when I was trying to find a publisher, I was having these conversations with everybody about their offices and how it made them think about um, their conversations, their own prejudices. Um, And so I do sometimes think there are changes and I know that, there are like where I worked um, 
I don't quote me, but I know that the, some of the people that I worked with when I was on the diversity committee then they're still making moves and like trying from, yeah, from their homes and which I really admire. Um, I think it's important. And I, the thing is, I don't know, you know, once people are back in the office, I think that's when we'll really know because I really do think that like face-to-face we're all sitting in this room. I think accountability is just way easier when you're physically in a space with someone. Um, but I have heard of places doing um, not uh, not resume blind, but like looking at other criteria besides, um, you know, what's on a resume. So that gives me hope. And also just places that I have heard that are at least talking about, or at least before the pandemic, we're talking about, you know, going to schools and talking to, like I mentioned earlier, like people who don't even know that this is an occupation mm-hmm. option. But yeah, and then that always makes me think about the pay. <laughs> like, but the pay is not, it's not sustainable, but who knows, maybe with virtual, uh, it'll change the publishing world a little bit for the better and maybe make it, an, the, make it a little more accessible. I don't know. I, I think, I hope so, that not every single person who works in publishing has to live in New York City. New York. That's a big hurdle. When I was working in publishing, I was often also doing other jobs, like mm-hmm. freelancing, because it's, like it's kind of hard to live off of a publishing wage, mm-hmm. depending on who you are and where you live. Um, so, yeah, big hurdle. Yeah. One of the things that I am most encouraged by is seeing employees starting to come together to call out publishers on bad business decisions. Yes. (laughs) We can talk as little or as much about this as you would like, but I do think the question that just about everyone right now is grappling with is who is required to speak up when when something very evil (laughs) is being published? Yeah. Realm is the audio entertainment company that features original fiction podcasts, including official continuations of popular franchises to create expansive, diverse, and immersive shows. Orphan Black, the next chapter, drops weekly from Realm every Friday, with a season finale coming up on June 11th. Starring Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany, Realm presents the official continuation of the hit TV series, Orphan Black. Maslani voices all eight clones, including the OG clones and some new faces. It's been eight years since Project Lita was destroyed for good, but when a dangerous genetic technology is stolen and an unknown clone appears, Cosima and the other clones are forced to struggle for survival. Since their victory against Project Lita, the original Sestras, Sarah, Allison, Cosima, and those they love have been free to live quiet, anonymous lives. But that anonymity comes at a cost. Cosima is unable to pursue the cutting-edge science that saved her life. Sarah's daughter, Kira, is suffocated by her mother's insistence on secrecy. And Charlotte, the youngest leader clone, questions why her family gets to survive while other unaware clones get sick and die. Everything changes when Vivi Valdez, a CIA agent, discovers she too is a clone and goes rogue. Vivi's pursuit of the truth brings chaos to the original clone club when one of them is accused of murder. To prove their innocence, they must step out of the shadows and publicly claim the secret they've sacrificed everything to protect. Otto Straddle says, if you loved Orphan Black, 
you'll love this. And I, I always feel so sorry for the employees who have to do the organizing because they are in most vulnerable positions. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And of course, the authors too. <laughs> authors, and, and I want to like, I want to say this explicitly, like it's, it's not your job. <laughs> um, I know, I know. And, um, and I think like, with, with my book, I definitely had that in the back of my mind, not even the back, it was in the forefront of my mind too. Um, not to, but I mean, just with Nella's, like, do I speak up? Why should I have to do this? Why is this my responsibility? Like, those are all things that the, the answer to uh, those questions is very difficult. And I think so that, hard. Yeah. yeah, it's emotionally taxing. Um, and so, especially when you're trying to do a job or trying to, you know, publish a novel, your first job. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> Yeah, my my default is like make Stephen King do it. <laughs> um, People will listen. <laughs> talk to me a little bit more about Nella, and even just I, I assume it was a very deliberate decision to call her Nella, and, and yeah. what her life is like in in the novel. Yeah. So. Um, Right, exactly. Uh, when when I started writing this book, um, I was reading Passing by Nella Larson for the very first time, and Nella is named after um, Nella Larson because I think I didn't realize it exactly when I first started reading the book and then writing my own book, but rereading Passing now, I'm like, wow, there are so many. Um, just I was really channeling a vibe and gaslighting to the highest power so um yeah but anyway so Nella uh is a 26 year old editorial assistant um she lives in Brooklyn does that commute to Manhattan every day uh to work at Wagner Books which is a very um fancy schmancy very white publishing house um and she has been the only black person for a couple years and you know, it's fatigued in a lot of ways uh, with having to speak for all of the Black people, um, <laughs> all of the world. <laughs> um, but at the same time, she's also got this dream. She wants to be an editor. She wants to be the Black editor that Wagner Books does not have, um, that Wagner Books had once upon a time, um, mm -hmm. 30 years earlier. Uh, get back to that. Um, and uh, so... She's got these two sides of her kind of competing. Um, and then when Hazel, another young black woman who was born and raised in Harlem, um, starts working in the cubicle next to hers, Nella is super excited. She's like, okay, great. Like, finally, I don't have to code switch uh, with you the way that I do with all of my white coworkers. Um, she hopes that they'll be able to have these conversations, connect over black hair, black music, all that stuff. Um, but, uh, series of very unfortunate events <laughs> start happening at the office, so say, and um, Nella starts to wonder if Hazel is really all that she seems. So yeah, so we just see kind of Nella's own, it's, it takes place 
um, mostly in Nella's head, a third person close. Um, and we kind of just see her trying to, to navigate these, first there was two worlds and now this, this world of Hazel um, mm -hmm. and this competition, but also friendship and just all, all the fun female relationship uh, workplace stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you mentioned this briefly, but that she, she has this earlier model of like, of what, success could have looked like, I guess, yes. from, mm -hmm. from Kendra Ray and, and Diana. Do you want to tell me about Burning Heart, the novel, and, and yeah. how you um, decided to portray that fictional, wait, yeah. that work of fiction that is also fictional? <laughs> yeah, um, so Burning Heart is essentially the book that I think I wanted to see in the world. I mean, I, so Burning Heart is essentially about this um, young black woman who um, has lived a very sheltered life and she suddenly uh, begins, gets flipped up in the Black Panther party. And that's, that's the, it's the synopsis of this fictional book. And I think it's kind of funny, the more I think about it, I, I was really thinking about I'd always, I've always been really interested in like the Black Panther Party and um, the ways in which uh, people can be conditioned um, after, especially after experiencing so much trauma, witnessing so much trauma. And like, I was thinking a lot about, I've always thought a lot about the Black Panther Party and just like radicalism in general um, and how like, just how movements can sweep people up and change people and really influence them. And so, so this book was one that I was like, oh, I feel like this this could be a kind of like Oprah book club pick book um, in this alternative reality. And um, Nella, of course, who really isn't a radical person um, in a lot of ways. Uh, she, of course, loved this book. She was gifted this book, Burning Heart in high school, loved it, wrote a thesis on it. Like she's all about it. Um, and part of what drives her to love it is also the fact that the author, is black, a black woman, and the editor is a black woman. And um, Kendra Ray was the editor who worked the Wagner books, and Diana Gordon was the writer, uh, author of Burning Heart. So, so yeah, I really, I, I included this book because I mentioned my own fascination with like, I think the way people can get swept up. But I also think that, I mean, I don't want to give too much away about the book, but the book is a lot about how we, you know, how black people, all the different ways we respond to oppression, the way we respond to racism, um, lack of diversity, like all of those things. And so Burning Heart for me kind of was a way to feed that in a little more obviously um, mm -hmm. with this idea of someone being um, swept up and being um, just kind of transforming their beliefs um, oh. because beliefs again are at the core, I think of this novel. And um, it's funny though, because I, when I first wrote this book, I mentioned the, the book is mostly through, a lot of it's through Nella's perspective, third person. Um, but uh, after the first draft, I was like, I, and it was only her, I only had Nella's mm -hmm. voice. But after the first draft, I was like, you know, I really need something else here. Like Wagner is really oppressive. Sometimes Nella can be a little too much in her head, maybe like I should add these other voices. And the more I added them, the more I really thought about how the other women, Kendra Ray and Diana, and then Shawnee, um, third black woman who voices her in the novel, um, how all of them relate to Nella's story. And 
I think for me as a black woman, I've always looked back to people in the past generations that came before me to kind of make sense of the present. I, I think mm -hmm. about my parents and how they related to the world when they were my age, my grandparents. Um, when I was in publishing, I thought of Toni Morrison having worked in publishing. I think those beacons are like really important for everyone, but I think especially with us of like this idea that like you were able to make this work in a time that was way harder, um, relatively speaking, than now. Um, and so I wanted to get at that kind of positivity, but then also the kind of uh, the trauma really of like the fact that things haven't changed that much in a lot of ways so and Noah doesn't know Kendra Ray's full full story although the reader will get to see um, most of Kendra Ray's full story so uh, yeah I also wanted to play with kind of what we know versus what Noah knows because in the real world like if we were Noah we wouldn't know everything we wouldn't right. know the whole story we would romanticize the past um, in the way that she does of course, I'm, you need to hold on. <laughs> I, it, it really is, you do such a great job of showing us that in 30 years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Gotta try harder. Um, and, and tell me a little bit about, of course, having been an editorial assistant, what is it like to work with an editor and her assistant <laughs> as an author. It's a dream. I mean, my editor, Lindsay Sagnetta Atria, is incredible. Um, I I always, I mean, I'd never had an editor editor. I'd written pieces, I'd had people edit my work, but not in this way of it being like a really full-fledged relationship of like, you're like, I, and especially since this isn't this is my first book I I really wasn't sure what to expect I knew what I wanted in like a reader but Lindsay has been amazing um and I mean having worked on Gone Girl having worked with so many incredible writers um to have someone look at my work and engage with it on like every single like literally every single level was my, my dream I I couldn't have asked for a better experience and I mean her um assistant Fiora is also wonderful like I wish I'm like I wish we could have worked together back today in this way because they're yeah they're just it's a really great team um and I think you know again I think a lot of a lot of people working in publishing want to want to do this or to be on the other side and I just feel really lucky to have been able to to make that switch because I know it's not not easy. It's <laughs> not an easy thing to do. It's not easy, but but you really did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I still can't believe it. I'm like, what? What's coming out soon? But <laughs> Zakia, before we say goodbye, I would love to know if you have any book recommendations for us. Yes, yes. Um, so I would say um, Raven Leilani's um, Lester. I finished it a little while ago now I don't remember what month it was but it was earlier this year and I still think about it I still think about Edie I, I just it's heartbreaking and also I saw myself way too many times in that book and it's just so it's reaffirming but also um just really devastating in a lot of ways um and beautiful so highly recommend um luster 
Um, then, of course, passing, um, which I mentioned earlier by Nella Larson, came out in the 1920s. Um, and it's a book about, mainly about two women, very, very light-skinned women who are able to pass. And um, one of them is married to a white man who has no clue. Um, tension, tension, subtext, drama, um, all, the, all the works. And I just, I can't say enough uh, how much that book influenced me. And also just like, it's a really good beach read because it's a novella, I believe. So you can read it in one sitting practically. Um, and then let's see, uh, I'm looking at my, <laughs> my sure, bag of books next to me. I have so many things I can't wait to read. Um, but, oh, um, there's one actually probably at my computer, uh, <laughs> which is a sign of love, I promise. Um, mm -hmm. I just started reading All Her Little Secrets by Wanda M. Morris. Uh, it starts with a, a Black female lawyer finding her um, white, I believe he's her boss, um, who she's also been having an affair with. Uh, she finds him dead. And that's beginning, and I'm still here for <laughs> whatever is going to happen. It's a thriller, um, and I love workplace workplace dynamics are, of course, my jam. So yeah, they certainly are. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review, and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.